0: My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've
1: been telling everybody that I got them in a shade, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. On today's episode, we have Travis Mateer, a.k.a. William Skink from the Zoom Town podcast. He's also from Missoula, Montana. And I had only heard about this place maybe a couple times in my life. but It's absolutely fascinating all of the strange connections that we got into in the place that he lives out there in the mountains of Montana. Synchronistically, Michael Wan and I have been doing a new podcast called Your Handbook for the Apocalypse, and Michael reached out. He said, hey, here's my friend Travis. You should talk to him. The magical conversation that you're about to hear is totally synchronistic. Be sure to subscribe on Patreon. You know what's good for you. Subscribe on Patreon. Subscribe on Rockfin. Show us some love on Rockfin, folks. We got thousands of people listening to the podcast now. We should have thousands of people in those places. And as of right now, we only have 220 people following us on Rockfin. We can raise that up. We can totally raise that up. Patreon, we got 27 going strong but guess what I'm proud to announce that we have reached 100,000 downloads thank you so much to everybody who's listened to the podcast and helped me achieve that milestone within the year anniversary which is coming up so be tuned be uh, ready stay tuned okay and be tuned be tuned in all right to the my family think some crazy podcast on october 5th ten five. that is the one year anniversary of this show and the 11th is the 27th anniversary of my birth so celebrate with me folks second year is going to be even better
1: It's, it's an ongoing effort to understand what happened to Sean. It gets really, it gets really murky and very weird. The, the man that was alleged to have assaulted Sean, Johnny Lee Perry, that man is now dead. He was shot and killed by sheriff deputies on August 29th. I mentioned that day because that's the day that Liz, um, Liz Frazier, the Cocteau Twins, was born. We started seeing these institutions like the FBI, DEA, we started seeing them become less and less trustworthy toward us these critical assets for developing cases. And they attributed that to the um, crack cocaine epidemic in the 80s. But here I am reading a story about how the Montana Freemen were all holed up in Roundup, Montana, okay? And the FBI knew that they were about to move to Jordan, to Jordan, Montana and to kick it up a notch with their terrorism efforts, right? They'd already been terrorizing local communities with financial fraud. I should give a final pitch for Missoula, the microcosm of the globalist agenda.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. Today on the show, we have Travis M. from the Zoomtown podcast, and him and I got connected via a good friend of mine who I just podcasted with today, our new podcast, the Your Handbook for the Apocalypse on the Susquehanna Alchemy feed. And Michael, I always trust, you know, that whatever he's bringing my way, it's going to be interesting. And this particular time, he introduced me to our guest today, Travis, also Yay. known as William Skink. Travis, thank you for joining us, man. How are you today?
1: I am doing good. I'm just doing some uh, last minute synchromistic work because when we talk about this stuff and when people like Michael Wan are involved, there seems to be an acceleration in the synchronicity. So yeah, I got a lot of stuff to, to talk about, but um, I can maybe just start with a quick introduction because um, no one is going to know me. I'm very new to the podcast scene. Um, and so I can just start there.
0: Be, uh, that would be great. I think one thing I just want to mention before you introduce yourself further is yeah. something that Michael and I discussed a lot in meeting and off the air is this idea that like people are inspired by his work to then go and look into their local area. And I'm sure people have heard my show before. I've heard me talk about this before because it inspired yeah. me to look into Connecticut and, you know, within a week or two of, of saying that <laughs> here you come, you know, and I love it, you know, tell people where you're from and maybe start with like, how you got interested in, you know, before you got found Michael Wands work and all that, maybe what woke you up to like the larger mystery and this kind of like what Mike and I have been talking about, like the apocalypse, the revealing, yeah. but you know, yeah. really, like what, what woke you up? So to speak.
1: Well, it, it's been such an interesting ride. Um, I I'm 43 right now. So I, my birthday was September 19th and I, I actually talked to Michael on September 19th after um, we were supposed to talk August 1st but a uh, good synchro mystic doesn't hold to those kind of ridiculous schedules and so I knew it was going to happen when it was supposed to happen and um, and so you know I moved to Missoula, Montana with my fiance now my wife in 2000 um, seems like a long time ago but that was a, a time when in Missoula there was a lot of fires um, there was kind of like this riot that summer with the Hells Angels had it, come to town to party and Um, you know, we, my wife and I both had to, had to finish college. And so we found Missoula the way a lot of people kind of run into this town. You know, we stopped here for lunch one day, um, on our, on our way to Spokane where I was born and where one of my cousins was getting married and we love this town. A river runs through it. You know, the book, the book says, and we decided to to move here and finish school. And so I was 2000, um, 21 years later, three kids later, um, you know, I'm trying to kind of make sense of this new normal we all find ourselves in and to, you know, kind of get up to, up to speed. I guess 9-11 woke myself up in my 20s, but um, really March, 2020 when the world shut down and I realized, you know, the, the scale at which uh, institutions and large forces were moving Um, I mean, I think I entered a a fear fog like a lot of people um, and some synchronicities having to do with um, asking the higher power for help and and Legos. Legos became a big part of my sort of self-care and and sort of waking me up, which is funny. But, um, you know, some synchronicities just really got me waking up to the the larger presence and and something outside of the way we experience time, sending us some messages. Um, And synchronicities for me have been these little signposts that I need to, to kind of follow these little threads to follow. Um, and so I've been doing that for a while, not really knowing that there was any kind of maybe systemic way to think about it or to apply it. Um, and then I heard, you know, Michael Wan on the higher side chat, I'm familiar with Christopher Knowles and his work at secret Sun, um, And then Jason Horsley is another person that is like my trifecta of synchromistics. Um, and so I'm just really excited to kind of share my insights and to add this larger meta conversation about, you know how we navigate this new world
0: so i'm getting a couple things coming through here that are definitely significant obviously rivers missoula was very yeah. interesting and something you mentioned when we spoke on the phone the other day is that not only is there a river that runs through the town but there's a lake that has five rivers that receive the lake receives up to five rivers is that did i get that correctly
1: Glacial yeah, glacial Lake Missoula. So the, the the um geological history of this area, um glacial Lake Missoula way far in the past was this um significant um sort of event when the when the ice dam broke. I'm not sure how long how far back in in the geological time time frame we're talking, but um it really shapes in large part like the Columbia Gorge area. Um and now we have I think five rivers that come into the Missoula Valley. So Um, the Clark fork river is one of the main rivers. We have the Bitterroot river. Um, the Blackfoot is sort of the famous, uh, river runs through it. Um, book and movie that people might think of when they think of Missoula. Um, they also might think of like David Lynch and some other things, but, um, the alcohol or is it Alcohanna river? I, I I always like screw it up when I, when I say it, but but Michael's work in in talking about just the flow of water and some of the things that I'm looking at in Missoula, um, you know, what, Development and sort of gentrification are some topics right now that that we're grappling with, and a lot of you know prime real estate is along the riverfront. I'm also looking into Spokane and sort of the historic development of that riverfront to get some clues into how power operates and and Michael's been bringing those insights that, that I don't think any people really can sort of approach without getting outside of the logical you know way of thinking about things that just help add to my per, my, my perception of what's going on in this town. So it's just, there's so much in the mix. It's sometimes hard to kind of structure it in a way that makes sense for other people. Um, but I I love how Michael presents his, his work and it helps people like me to just talk about it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. The Susquehanna river certainly is
1: Susquehanna.
0: Yeah. Susquehanna. And you know that even that word in itself, one of the notable things that I found with the Susquehanna River is that that word itself comes from an Algonquin term, but it has, you know, relationship in some way to some Gaelic words. So, you know, I'm wondering if, you know, the same is true in your research, if you're finding that there are certain words or names of places that have come to the forefront as significant even if you haven't understood the meaning yet like there's plenty of work like the Housatonic River is a river that comes through my area and I'm really not sure what that word means yet I should have looked it up by now but what what are your thoughts on the names of places in in your particular area I mean even Missoula sounds interesting I wonder who named that
1: yeah there's one you know obviously um, indigenous history and um, Salish Kootenai uh, language and a lot of languages that are sort of disappearing. Um, but when, when you're asking me that question, what actually comes to mind is the synchronicity that was just happening for me before we before we started today. Um, because I, before I moved to Missoula, I actually spent a very brief amount of time about uh, nine months, ten months, um, living in Colorado Springs, and that place is creepy as hell. Uh, Tesla had a laboratory there for a reason, um, and then I actually worked in, in Manitou Springs, and it's funny. It's funny this is coming up because I, I was talking to someone on the street just, you know, again, about 30, 40 minutes ago. We were talking about dishwashing jobs and how kick-ass it is to be a good dishwasher, you know, how every restaurant needs to respect the dishwashing work. I was a dishwasher in Manitou Springs, and um, I, I wish you, I could show you this, this little uh, visual aid I have with me, but um, <laughs> there's a in – a, in an antique mall here in Missoula, I ran across this figure. It's this creepy little figure. It's got a um, – like a boy head and a pig body. Um, it's all black with red eyes. And, and it, I was going to bring it in, in terms of talking about the term discernment and how beyond just you know, picking up on synchronicities, you need to listen to sort of that inner voice or the intuition or you know, that, that sort of guidance that you can get if you're in tune with that. Um, and I was just looking up the artist that makes these creepy little figures because he does um, art posters as well. And I had no idea that this guy was based in Manitou Springs Um, and Manitou. I mean, the, the, the history of that area, um, I think the legend is there was some kind of almost like a biblical Cain and Abel death, but between two indigenous tribes and, and there was a murder and it poisoned the water. Um, And so, you know, the way this kind of relates to Missoula and just the flow of water, Um, I initially brought Michael, I, I hired him, you know, kind of, because I wanted to talk to him about some of the synchronicities with, um, some investigative work I was doing in Missoula. And, um, there was the death of of a homeless man by the name of Sean Stevenson, uh, here in Missoula, January 3rd, 2020, he was assaulted at the homeless shelter where I used to work. Um, Sean, his dad was in the air force Academy in Colorado Springs. Sean spent some time in Colorado Springs. Um, and so these are the kind of things that, that for me, I mean, of course, there, there, there's personal resonance and that's what synchronicities are, coincidence that you bring your own meaning to. But this is the kind of stuff that I just cannot deny um, that, that these, these themes are being brought up. And in Manitou, there's a lot of a lot of etymology with, with that word. Um, there's a lot of interesting things, I think, at play. And, and we're just all picking up little signals. Um, along the way so so when you ask him <laughs> that's my long response to um, asking about uh, words and language and, and i think how you can go down little rabbit holes just based on that
0: absolutely i mean you're connecting to what i've been researching with the Hammond asset line it goes ah. r- through a spot in new york that's called the wall of the Manitou.
1: right okay
0: which is these very very tall in comparison to the land in front of it, towards the east of it. Very tall mountains, the Catskill Mountains. And the indigenous people there referred to this place as like the 12 houses. And there was rites of passage associated with, you know, getting to the highest peak out of these 12 mountain peaks. And this this author, Glenn Kreisberg, he talks about this Hamanasset line briefly in his book, Spirit in the Stone. And, you know, he mentions uh-huh. that it's curious how the line goes from Montauk Island, right? Which yes, I was we, just going to say, we Montauk. All, we all know, yep. you know, the strange stuff there.
1: And yep, then yep, that yep.
0: goes through the Manitou Wall and then up to the Kisina Peninsula off of Wisconsin huh. into Lake Superior, which is known for copper Copper Bay—it's like a copper, ancient copper mines were allegedly there. But there's also an island off the coast of this point called Manitow Island, and the Hammond Acid Line goes straight through it, according to Glenn's work. So, yeah, this is wow. so interesting for us because we're looking into the Hammond Acid Line. It goes right through the state that I live in, Connecticut, and as you know, it makes its way over Long Island Sound. It goes through, like, 15 to 16 different towns. It goes over, I mean, plenty of water, rivers. And so, yeah, there's definitely, I mean, more questions than answers at this point in time for us. But I just think, yeah, that's definitely a big connection. And the word itself, I've learned, has something to do with, you know, the creator. So
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, let me add to that because... um, (laughs) So the, the Wilma is this building, um, and part of my conversation with with Michael Wan was about the Chapel of the Dove. Um, and the Chapel of the Dove is something I had no idea about living here for 20 years until someone mentioned it a couple months ago, and I've been doing kind of a deep dive. And it's this kind of weird place in the basement of the Wilma, um, where Edward Sharp, the, the co-owner at the time, would show movies, this guy really loved pigeons, he raised a pigeon, um, very kind of odd and interesting. And, And the Wilma, the building, the the current owner um, became sort of a lightning rod because of his potential use of public money um, to build something along the Clark Fork River. He was going to help build this giant convention center. It was not supported very well. Um, His name is Nick Chakota. Nick Chakota came to Missoula from Wisconsin. Um, Nick Chakota's dad was Joe Chakota. This guy is very rich. He tried to buy a senator seat. Um, Joe Chakota was so unpopular as was the other guy that was running at the time, I think this was in the nineties, that a dark horse candidate by the name of Feingold ended up winning and rising to power in Wisconsin. And so, <laughs> you know, this guy, Nick Chakota, um, is now this sort of local, uh, Missoula oligarch who, um, he owns log jam presents. Um, he controls most of the cultural production in terms of music. So if you want to have a show here in Missoula, you're gonna have to deal with uh, Nick Chakota's outfit. Uh, He's gotten a lot of public money, um, a lot of bailout money because of the pandemic. Um, And so this is one of the guys that I'm looking into that I'm putting my neck out to sort of expose that, you know, gets me kind of interested to lawyer up when it comes to protecting myself. So when you mentioned Wisconsin, that's where my mind goes immediately. Wow. Very interesting.
0: Yeah. If if not just for the, you know, the namesake. Yeah. I think the the Manitow is certainly... Important and I noticed that the Clark Fork River is is on a place called Council Grove. And, you know, this theme of like you know, council location, a place that's significant, a significant meeting place. Is there anything oh, you're that looked is, into over there?
1: Are you kidding me? You're you're hilarious. This is this is this is this is fun. Um um that's one of my favorite places to go take my dog. Um I have a Newfoundland by the name of Abby. <laughs> wow. Um, and so I get, you have no idea how many poems I, I write poetry. I get poetry when I go out there almost every time. Um, and I'm not, um, sort of egocentric enough to claim that I'm hundred percent the author of all my poems. I get help the way I get help in a lot of ways, you know, guidance. And so, yeah, council Grove is one of those places where I go and I write poems. So I'm glad you brought that up. It's a beautiful place. Anyone, anyone coming through should definitely check it out. And as you and I had that conversation um, on the phone about, you know, doing more, um, work to bring people into sort of your own backyard um, I think those are the kind of areas that um, that people need to to be more aware of in terms of some of the magic in these um, l- landscapes and locations I'm so glad you brought up cancel grill that's great
0: well it's funny I'm just like folks should know we didn't prepare that at all I'm i just no, was like no. oh I don't know enough about where Missoula is so I opened up my google maps you know oh god bringing google into this of course. and i just am like all right where's the Clark Fork River and I found it and then I found, you know, Council Grove State Park naturally. But yeah, in the same, you know, respect, what I'm looking into with the Hammond Asset Line, it crosses over many different state parks and then connecting it all to Michael wans wow. work. We just spoke about it today. I think this episode will come out after that episode's released, episode three of your handbook for the apocalypse. But yeah, the, the yeah. Hammond Asset Line crosses the Susquehanna River. So it's like, you know, there are these definite connections and, you know, I think it's, it's like what Michael Wan was talking about, like a a Gaia matrix, so to speak, or like a Mm -hmm. organic network that energy is conducted and sent along. And it's no coincidence that they build these places like the Wilma theater along places that have an energetic resonance are there any other places in this area in missoula or in surrounding areas uh,
1: this is this is going to be ridiculous um how do you spell hammond um is it is it h-a-m-m-o-n-d
0: it's uh, a Hammond. Acid, so it's spelled h-a-m-m-o-n-a-s-s-e-t it's a i would imagine it's probably like okay. a, uh, an algonquin or pequot word or some you know, some kind of tribe's word that, because there's a lake that's named Hamanasset and and there was a man named Hamanasset.
1: And some of this stuff, you know, when I talked to Michael, I was like, you know, you can almost like um, turn this on at at too high a a decibel and and see too many connections and synchronicities. And um, a lot of the free association that we're doing is, you know, blowing my mind, but it's also just kind of throwing things out there. And, um, you know, I I try not to read necessarily too much into it. So, um, for example, Um, The Hammond building, so H-A-M-M-O-N-D, has just come up for me recently, Uh, again, because of the Chapel of the Dove and looking into the history of the Wilma, um, Edward Sharp, this man who raised pigeons and loved pigeons, um, well, this guy named Bill Coffey does not like pigeons, Um, really hated the, the pigeons. And there was some controversy back in the eighties about these pigeons, because I think they were shitting all over his building, the Hammond building. So Bill Coffey owned the Hammond building um, right next to the Wilma and, and Bill Coffey, his family. Um, I think they go back to like Miles city. So this is sort of like old Montana money. They, um, I believe started the Stockman's bank. And again, this is one of the things up in the present day, we're looking at the way the Stockman's bank uses things like tax increment financing. Uh, obnoxious term that's that sort of used like average Joe repellent, you know, you, these fancy terms that people don't even want to think about because it's like, ooh. But, um, you know, Stockman's Bank, this is one of the things that I'm looking into, the history of just the institutions in your own town, in your own city, you know, there's enough to learn just in your own backyard that really, uh, this work needs to be done. More people need to be doing this kind of work. And if there's ley lines and um, haminet lines, you know, or other, other sort of more esoteric maybe layerings to that, that's just even more fun in my estimation. Um, it, it enlivens and expands my sense of the world. And this is really what, what kind of gets me going in a positive direction. Um, whereas it's easy to get mired down and sort of mercury retrograde. Before coming here, I just had a nice blowout argument with my wife um, because you have to get these things out, apparently, when they start building and building and, um, you know, we're talking stuff out, but man, just keeping relationships together right now is so hard. Um, but I think this work is really important because it uh, synchronistic work from my perspective can be healing in, in a lot of ways. If you're doing it right and you're trying to kind of resolve maybe some of your own inner conflicts, traumas, um, I think there are ways of doing it that are really positive. Um, but I think there can be, there can be ways that you can get derailed or distracted are you familiar at all with the, the work of Jason Horsley i mentioned him as one of my one of my favorite yeah
0: only briefly you know what i i was introduced or recommended that i listen to him and yeah i I should go back and give him another chance because i don't think i i really uh gave him a fair shake now that i really get put on the spot but synchronistically yeah this fits into one of my theories about resistance you know you have resistance to people and then for some reason it comes up later on after you dismiss it and you're like oh okay this is coming back for a reason so please go on tell us about jason
1: Yes, yes, yes. He, he was one of the first guys I really kind of sought out as I was starting my podcast. Um, and he has since really pulled back from, from a lot of stuff. I think you can subscribe to some of his insights. But um, I first ran across him at this website called Rigorous Intuition. So um, when I was first getting introduced to Synchro Mysticism, this goes back to 2009, um, Jake Coates, was that the guy, one of the main guys back then, was sort of watching movies, um, finding the symbolism in movies, like the Resonator actors and actresses, that seem to um, like hint at these larger symbolic movements of these of secret societies and stuff. Um, a lot of that work was looking at film. And Jason Horsley, um, his family is pretty sort of well known in the in the UK. His brother Sebastian famously killed himself through alcohol drug abuse. Um, and, and then, uh, Jason lived for a while in Canada, pretty close to actually where, where I live in Missoula, um, running a secondhand store and and he has really worked sort of understanding his own trauma and he's taken on, you know, figures like Alistair Crowley and Whitley Strieber and really has, he's done some amazing work. I've read a lot, I think his last four books, um, are just incredible. And and so, but he warned me about um, synchronicism in our conversation in a way that I hadn't even thought about it. And one of the essays in a in a collection of books that I that I ran across that I I realized he was in this this collection the day before I was going to interview him because again this is how how it seems to work. Um, His warning was: don't use these synchronicities to create a second matrix. You know, you're thinking you're getting out of the first matrix. Well, you might just be creating a second matrix, and if you're just sitting, watching movies, if that's your sense of mysticism is looking for symbolism in movies and not like going out in the world and meeting people and talking to people and meet space. You know, I, I think that was his, his warning was to kind of just check yourself on what kind of, you know, focus you're actually bringing to this kind of work. And I, it, that, that warning has really helped me um, to not create a second matrix. I don't want to create another entanglement Um, for myself to get lost in. So I have three kids and a wife and that's, that's number one, you know, that needs to be the focus. If this is really truly taking me away from what's important in my life, then I'm not going to be doing it.
0: Well, and I think that's why, you know, and this isn't to challenge you in any way, but I think that's why all of our questions have been about, actual real places like I I totally understand why you're citing that because if people type that phrase in you might see that and Michael does great breakdowns of movies but you know I think something that he's been talking to me about lately is is doing less and less of that kind of stuff and I think you know personally I didn't really come into that decision through synchro mysticism I just don't yeah. like TV. I gave up video games <laughs> and I, I yeah. just found that like that kind of stuff had no purpose in my life naturally. So Jason Horsley's message, you know, might be falling on deaf ears here, but I definitely, <laughs> I appreciate someone like him saying that I, I agree with him hundred percent. And, you know, I have a lot of books, Maybe the same could be true if I lost myself in all these books, but I think one of the things that's so cool about, you know, the way we've approached it so far, and I think the same is true for you based on what you said about Council Grove is when you Mm -hmm. actually go and visit a place and let the journey unfold in a way where you're present in the moment and your inspiration is seemingly around the corner you know there's like yeah this, like anticipation that you can create and maybe it's like what you said like I don't know if you use this phrase particularly but like I would call it maybe pattern seeking where maybe people yeah. do get wrapped up but it's like if, if going out and, you know, having a nice little day trip and, you know, maybe the worst thing that happens is you spend a little extra money on gas and and maybe go out to eat at the end of the night and you should have saved money. Like, yeah, okay. That's not always great, but uh, getting out (laughs) in the world, you know, and, and experiencing the real world, it, it, it sticks with you in a really prolific way. I think there's a lot of learning people can experience and that's pretty profound in my journey just like you know you said you and your uh then fiance, now wife were driving through or then girlfriend now wife were driving through Missoula you know and and just felt the magic of the river and we're like we gotta live here you know the same kind of happened with me about uh, a year and a and a few months ago when I drove by the Susquehanna river, you know, and I didn't know Michael on a yeah. personal level. I just listened to his podcast at that point. And, you know, I made a connection with the river in a way, and and it's just really shocked me how quickly I w- got thrown into it all, but it was meant to be in that way. So I don't yeah. know. I mean, I think the synchronicities that's kind of my message that I would add to it is like people should use their heart as the, as the real, guide to what their intuition is pushing them to do and anything that's going to take you out of the real world like video games it's something that a lot of my friends and and people i grew up with you know deal with and then like movies too i mean never really were my thing particularly i did i do like some movies but you know, I'm not a big movie guy. Like, people ask me on the show sometimes, like, have you seen this movie or this movie? I'm like, ah, no. You know, I had Jay Dyer on. He's like the ultimate movie breakdown guy. Hollywood He's knows fantastic. it all, you know? Yeah. And, and I told him right off the bat, I'm like, listen, I don't know any movies that well enough to have that conversation. I want to get down <laughs> to the, the real meat and potatoes, who did what, where are the drugs coming in. So that's... Absolutely. And I think, and I think that's that's kind of you know, not to take things too far off of what you got to offer. Cause you definitely, you know, you have so much more to say than just stuff about movies. So I'm surprised to hear you say that. I just wanted to, to bring that up. Well, no, and, go ahead.
1: It's, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, another huge, uh, huge sort of awakening part of my life was the movie Donnie Darko. <laughs> I mean, mm. Donnie, Donnie Darko is one of the most important, um, sort of pieces of media, um, in my, in my life. Um, for a lot of like really strong personal reasons, but um, you know, I don't want to dissuade the idea of, of, of getting information um, from, from films like predictive programming is real. Um, i w I've been going back to like John Carpenter. Uh, I mean, I'm using uh, movies now as research, I'm researching it, but yeah. I think um, the unhealthier way that I used to relate to movies was um, the way that I also used alcohol as a crutch. So I've been without alcohol for a year and three months. Um, and that's been such a, a blessing in my life to not have that as sort of this um, dependency that, that I was kind of using as this cliche artist that wanted to apparently suffer and, um, you know, drink my Boda box every night, um, make it really light by the end of the night. And then uh, not necessarily remember, you know, what was what was going on at the end of the night. So, um, you know, in terms of looking at movies, I started to realize as I was getting away from that influence that you can co-create this dark reality if you're not um, approaching it by doing the inner work first and getting some kind of inner balance. And so I still look at Netflix, I still look at a lot of this, um, this stuff out there as as important to acknowledge because it is controlling a lot of people. Um, uh, Jason Horsley really looks at film now as sorcery. you know, And I think uh, neurologically, your brain doesn't necessarily recognize what it's seen as not real. And so in a lot of ways, you know, this prepping ourselves um, with this like, trauma induced mind control. I mean, this is trauma induced mind control is something that I've been sort of studying um, unknowingly for a long time. Um, working at the homeless shelter, I've been in close proximity to people that have experienced serious trauma. And I, part of my work now continues to be talking to people on the streets. Meth in Missoula is out of control. Um, there's a systemic uh, reluctance to do much about it. And it's pretty dark in a lot of ways that will sound crazy if I get into details, which I'm not right now, but, um, I mean, that really was what I brought Michael in, um, initially to help me understand is, is what was going on with the synchronicities relating to, um, a mayor that we've had for 16 years that, um, that we're really trying to expose, um, I mean, the, the corruption in a liberal town like Missoula, where people are just so resistant because of their ideology to not really look at what's happening and now to have a pandemic, you know, and our, our mayor um, on CNN next to Don Lemon, you know, and, and people in this town really, really believing that there's some, you know, terrible, awful crisis in the hospitals when I can literally reference uh, department of health and human services data, you know, on my podcast, with my co-host yesterday, we, we on, on air, we're looking at the data and we're like, there's available beds. There's this many COVID patients, you know, but it's, in this new normal, in this crazy world we live in, um, you know, this is the kind of sort of um, cognitive shutdown that's, that's happening for a lot of people as they are accepting this like fear-based, I don't know what it is, but it's, I mean, it's beyond mind control at this point, but it's, it's freaky, but I'm trying to keep a positive out, outlook. Um, Cause I see a lot of opportunities, but it, um, it can be very hard. <laughs> you know.
0: And yeah, no, I'm, I'm so glad you made that point about, movies as sorcery. And yeah, yeah. again, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of myself for dismissing Jason Horsley based on one interview. Cause I, I remember hearing <laughs> an inv- an interview he did and I, for whatever reason it rubbed me the wrong way. And I just like, you know, so use that as an example, folks, don't always judge a book by its cover. He's so very
1: British. He's very British and very kind of quiet. Um, and yeah, I, it's interesting because I, I, I saw his writing before I, I listened to him on interviews. Um, and Rigorous Intuition, I don't know if you're familiar with that website, but there's a lot of, I mean, this was sort of like conspiracy uh, central for, for a while back in like 2006, 7, 8. Um, a lot of that stuff has fallen off. But, um, I mean, there was some really interesting, like primary information that was coming out through websites like that at the time. And it's, it's interesting using discernment. Um, I I mentioned this uh, Jermaine, uh, what was his name? Jermaine something, the guy that does the art, art posters that is based in Manitou. Um, I wanted to touch back on that really quickly because um, discernment, getting a gut feeling is really important. People have got to listen to that. And I think I've benefited from my wife's stronger connection to her gut feeling. Um, We were in Costa Rica before we uh, started our family, you know, consciously like, let's go have a month-long travel in Costa Rica you know blast and so she did a lot of the the planning scheduling and we were in Lake Arenal which is by a volcano staying at this hostel that she had scheduled and we just like arrive at this hostel um no one's around and there's a Doberman on a a chain barking and really kind of weird vibe and um you know my wife at one point we never never checked in this place but she just like comes into the room from smoking a cigarette outside and was like we have to get out of here. We have to leave. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I don't know. We just, we gotta go. Um, and so later in that trip, um, in that same town, we found out from someone that a Catholic priest who had been moved around the States a bunch because he apparently was molesting children. Um, they, they basically found this little town in Costa Rica to hide him out. And Costa Rican authorities were trying to kick him out because he was teaching the locals English, you know, how nice. And so for whatever reason, I don't know what happened on that property, but my wife picked up on something. And in a similar fashion, this, this creepy little you know, pig body boy head, I see this object in a local store here in Missoula, and I now have a better understanding of who is selling it. And I'm not going to, this is just a bit of speculation, so I'm not going to get into some details, but um, you know, he's a retired professor uh, in media arts, and so I've talked to him. And he gave me a documentary that he worked on. I'm working on documentaries. So I'm kind of interested in making connections and I watched this documentary and it's a French photographer, um, pretty intense, um, images, pretty intense pictures. And there's this one image that flashes and it's a very inappropriate image. I have, you know, if I have to question how old the girl is, um, it's, it's problematic. Right. And so for me, that confirms, you know, this guy who's in academia, he's a professor um, he made this kind of film. He can show it to his students. Um, and because I've worked at a shelter, I'm kind of familiar with grooming behavior. Um, this is how some of these predators operate. Um, and I think we're dealing with this on a meta level. So this predator then, and this is speculation, again, I don't know this to be true, but my gut feeling is he has done some bad things. And when he shows a film like this and a student maybe notices it, that's his opportunity to test boundaries to explore where there might be vulnerabilities for him to exploit. Um, And now he's retired in Missoula. So, Hey, I hope he's not who I think he is, but um, my intuition is telling me that I would not want him around my kids. And so I think people have to get in touch with some of that inner, inner voice um, because there are people in your own circles to be more aware of and, and, and to be, more concerned about. I mean, I, working at the shelter, I really got more familiar with like the the sex predators, not necessarily that stereotype of the guy in the van. Um, a prominent psychologist that I that I worked with, who I knew had people committed because he had that kind of power. You know, he was arrested for child porn. Um, and so, you know, this is the time to really be aware that there are predators um, and that the system itself is run by sociopaths. And um, you know, people like Jason understand that. they're his family was close to the fabian society back in the uk um and the fabian society is one of these social engineering long-term incremental you know shaping society and so I, I think the more that we understand how these forces work the more we can do the work in our own backyards just to keep our loved ones safe so that's kind of a bit of a rambling answer i know to, to some of the stuff but that's, that's how i roll <laughs>
0: No, no, no. You just laid out a lot of information. I mean, definitely more relevant to those in Montana. I hope it reaches people out there. Yeah,
1: people don't listen to me in this town right now. I I mean, some people do, but...
0: Well, you're um, on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, so we got to ask you, does your family think you're crazy?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes. Um, Mom kind of is a little little more sympathetic. Um, Rachel Maddow has my dad's brain um, in her, like, pocket. Um, my wife's on the same page in a, in a lot of ways. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to sound crazy talking about some of this stuff, you know? Um, I, I haven't even mentioned like transhumanism and Luciferian stuff, but you know, cause that really starts making it sound crazy. But, um, I find it fascinating and, and one of the ways that I've tried to explain to people, I'm like, Hey, listen, you don't have to believe this shit. What if people with power and money, what if they believe this shit? Maybe you should take it seriously if they believe this shit. You know, if George Bush is saying Gog and Magog, and, you know, if they're talking about these um, Babylonian sort of Mithraic, you know, you might want to take it seriously. Because I think they might be operating on some kind of old world blood sacrifice shit. Um, And uh, my kids aren't going to succumb to that kind of nasty sorcery. so. But yeah. now I do sound crazy. Thanks. <laughs> no, no,
0: I, I'm right there with you. I think that, you know, when you mention the Bushes and Gog and Magog, there's another synchronicity. I mean,
1: Excellent. if you,
0: if you, you know, if you look at Ross's his work about alchemy and how they've tried to do all these inversions in an uh-huh. attempt to change and swap the Royal bloodlines that all this stuff. I don't want to get into that. That's a lot of Ross's work. People can buy his book. We talked about him plenty of times, but either way, but
1: we're swimming, we're swimming in all of this. I mean, it's a big soup that we're in.
0: Yeah. And I, and I wanted to make the point is like, I too have rubbed up against some institutions that seem shady As fuck. And people who've listened to the show know, you know, who I'm talking about, Yale University, Skull and Bones, Mm -hmm. all these organizations that not in any sort of professional way, but I just being a, a delivery driver, bakery, I happen to go into some of these buildings and see it from the inside. Mm hmm meet some people. So it was interesting. And and I'm glad I had those experiences, but I've talked a lot about that on the show before. I don't want to get bogged down in those details, but I did want to point out it was synchronistic. Now my, my, my thought is to go back to a couple things you brought up. Yeah. You you mentioned, you know, this uh, person who you maybe knew or had uh, association with in some way through your job with the homeless shelter how did his disappearance or murder connect with, you know, this larger mystery? Have you looked into that further? Is that all there is to say about it now? What, how can yeah, we expand no, I, I that? I,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, my first interview was with, um, Sean Stevenson's sister. So, uh, Jay Shell and Angela. Um, I mean, I, I launched the podcast on January 5th, 2021 because that was a year, um, to the day that he was removed from life support. So, you know, I, I, I put in my notice to leave my job January 3rd, um, Sean was attacked January 3rd, um, our mayor actually took office for the first time on January 3rd. And, and so, you know, all three of us, Sean, John, and me, um, you know, we all have alcohol challenges in our lives. Um, Sean, you know, that I think was part of his vulnerability within the homeless uh, system that night that he was attacked. Um, John Engen, our alcoholic mayor disappeared for a month, um, and then reemerged and relaunched his last, uh, uh, reelection campaign. And so, um, you know, it's, it's an ongoing effort to understand what happened to Sean. Uh, it gets really, it gets really murky and very weird. Um, the, the man that was alleged to have assaulted Sean, Johnny Lee Perry, um, that man is now dead. He was shot and killed by sheriff deputies on August 29th. Um, I mentioned that date because that's the date that Liz, um, Liz Fraser, the Cocteau twins was born. So I was kind of like reading Christopher Knowles, kind of anticipating something on August 29th and damn it. Um, not that that has any sort of bearing, but um, for me, the death of John Lee, Johnny Lee Perry is pretty worrisome. Um, I've actually had two conversations with this guy who's now dead one of them was in april where he was telling me about being a targeted individual i don't know if you're um, aware of sort of the ti ideas out there Um, but that topic kind of freaks me out a little bit um because of some of the stuff that i've read and researched but um i had a conversation with johnny about being a ti um and it actually was a fairly positive conversation we talked about love being a higher vibration and you know, I, I talked about some of the suspicions I had that he was not the primary person involved in um, in the physical assaults against uh, Sean Stevenson. And and so when I saw him on August 9th um, of this year and you know, he was in a much more agitated state of mind, um, he was walking on West Broadway by the homeless shelter the Pavarello Center. Uh, he had his shirt off and his hands up in the air um, like like pointing them to the sky like they were guns, and so I I parked my car and approached him and, and filmed him, and talked to him, um, asked him what he was doing. He's like, I'm destroying. I'm like, what are you destroying, Johnny? He's like, police. Um, and there was a portion of the of the video I haven't released yet, um, because you know after I I filmed this happening, I was alarmed at what he said, so I called nine one one, you know, and it took me a couple of days to actually get a response from the police and. All of this is so worrisome, um, you know, in a lot of ways that, it, you know, this 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 young black man, I, I shouldn't have to say his race, but, you know, in, in Missoula, that's, there's a lot of virtue signaling around, and a lot of donating to nonprofits around race. Um, we're about like 94% white. Um, but um, here's a young black man who's saying some pretty incendiary things um, after uh, allegedly assaulting someone the year before and killing him. And he's basically just been allowed to sort of be out, out there being pretty, you know, from what I hear from other people, pretty aggressive. But after I put this footage out, um, it took me about a week. So I put the footage out on August 16th, you know, and then he turns up dead August 29th and still to this day, it's been over a month now, the sheriff's department has not released any information about which deputies were involved. Um, he was shot, uh, sort of West of town in the woods. I'm not sure how a homeless guy who, didn't have a vehicle, got out um, in the woods. Um, but this is where, you know, stuff like meth, you know, stuff like federal federal investigations um, into stuff like that um, can be can be kind of concerning. And, and the way I'm going to relate it actually to some of the synchromistic work, um, one of the books that I picked up on my way back from Spokane before I talked to Michael, um, I just started reading it about four or five days ago, right? And it's called False Prophets and this book is fascinating it's about about these two criminal or uh, not criminal um, confidential informants so CIs confidential informants um and this this husband and wife team um were working this kind of CI realm back when they they actually worked with professional CIs and so this was like late 70s and 80s um and this couple ends up um taking a last job infiltrating the Montana Freeman and so Kind of militias are hot again. And, you know, after January 6th, after that joke, uh, the insurrection, um, there's a lot of interest in, in domestic terrorism again. But I'm reading this book about these CIs infiltrating the Montana Freemen. And it's been very interesting to hear the perspective from these people saying, hey, we started seeing these institutions like the FBI, DEA, we started seeing them become less and less trustworthy toward us, these critical assets for developing cases. And they attributed that to the um, crack cocaine epidemic in the '80s, but here I am re- reading um, a story about how the Montana Freemen were all holed up in Roundup, Montana, okay, and the FBI knew that they were about to move to Jordan um, to Jordan, Montana um, and to kick it up a notch with their terrorism efforts right they'd already been terrorizing local communities with um, f- financial fraud. I had no idea the Montana Freemen were involved in the level of crazy financial fraud um, schemes and false paper and all this stuff. I mean, it was really quite extensive and the FBI had this couple infiltrating this group for months and months. And the FBI knew that this, this group was about to relocate in a, in a much easy, easier to defend sort of fortress. And the FBI just let them do it. They just let them do it. And when did they do it? Um, It was September 28th, 1995. And so I'm reading this last night on September 28th, you know, and and they this morning, September 29th, you know, I'm reading, I'm finishing up this this chapter and it's just like, wow, this is a very interesting perspective because I'm thinking about how law enforcement is currently working with um, confidential informants. That's part of my concern is that they might be using homeless people as like throwaway people. And, um, and so it's been really interesting to just have run across this book and to be reading this book and then to be reading the book about this thing that's happening on the same day, you know, uh, 16 years ago or however many years ago it is, I'm not good at numbers. Um, but it's just, it's crazy. Um, and, uh, again, I've rambled for a bit, so I, I will stop and, and let you respond to all that.
0: No, please don't ever feel like you need to stop. <laughs> we love it. Keep going. I, my heart goes out to everybody in that position of homelessness and it does concern me that that might be going on i think you know the whole structure of society is stratified based on class and then they give us this you know illusion of a race war when really it's a class war and it's you know a symptom of of you know this elite system that encourages corruption and encourages deception and manipulation and 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 people create these pseudo monopolies of trust and yeah I, I think you know it's just i mean i my heart goes out to you especially for being brave enough to look into this stuff i mean in a place like montana yeah. you know when there's a lot of open space you know it's like i'm sure there's <laughs> there's you know a lot of people that carry weapons around there because it is the kind of place that you know you can just go missing i'm sure
1: yeah are you familiar with the the show yellowstone because that that is a really highly sophisticated uh narrative device that kevin costner is putting out there for people um and it, it's i think it's one of the more amazing stories out there worth, worth checking out even though again you know if you're wasting too much time just watching the screen get out take a walk with the dog but um, but Yellowstone brings up, um, a lot of interesting narratives and, you know, people going missing on the reservation is a big one right now. Um, you know, the Gabby, the Gabby situation, right? Missing a white girl is, is the situation that is getting some, some headlines. Um, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff now with her having like done that, that, uh, music video when she was 14 and all this weird stuff. But um, in in Missoula, there was a missing uh, Indigenous woman, Jermaine uh, Charlo. Another Jermaine, Jermaine Charlo went missing, and so there's been a podcast about her going missing. And um, you know, one of the things that that I get frustrated about is that um, I know a lot about the homeless infrastructure behind the scenes. I mean, having worked at the homeless shelter, I was involved in putting in place some of these filters, you know, this uh, screening process, and and so I'm actually very aware of some of the detailed aspects of, of what we can do and what we can't do. And so, um, as people just come through the, the transient population is different than the year round homeless population. And There's a lot of subgroups. Uh, there's a lot of just, you know, young street kids and there's, um, people on disability and people that should be in nursing homes. And I mean, it's just a very sort of complicated stew of stuff. Um, and, and within that though, there's a lot of money that's moving around. So, Um, and, and our, our local power establishment, you know, they're quote unquote liberal, they're neoliberal. And in a lot of ways they're using homeless people to hide behind because here's a black man that was attacked by another black man in the homeless shelter. Um, I've got some very specific questions about that. I have a podcast interview with the the sisters. Um, can I get any traction locally? Hardly, you know, there's a, a nonprofit called the Montana Human Rights Network. Um, I've tried to get them interested. I know the co-director, uh, I went to college with her. She stepped down in February. But um, I don't even know if they've even listened to the interview. You know, they're too busy talking about Afghan refugees. And, that, and I'm, I'm sitting here like, you know, I was criticizing the fact that Missoula became a location for international refugee resettlement. Not because I'm a hateful, xenophobic, um, you know, bigot. It's because I worked at a homeless shelter and I knew the 5% vacancy rate in our rental market meant that it was already difficult to get into this town. And so when you bring people in with needs and they don't have rental history or credit or someone that can co-sign their lease, it, it actually is tough to get them into housing. And um, and so I've sort of, I almost feel like I'm a radical conservative now um, because I am white, I am a man, I have a penis, sorry. Um, and and I'm in this situation where it's like I used to be a progressive blogger, but now I'm in these situations where I'm like, I don't want my kids wearing a mask at school. Um, my 13 year old is not going to get a, a a jab. Sorry, you know, uh, I'm not getting a jab. You know, and and so all these like former allies, my like artist friends and all people in the nonprofit world, it's just like ah, Travis is exposing the shit. Um, he doesn't want to get a jab. He's doing this. He's doing that you know it's just it's an interesting place for me to be in this town right now um after you know working and and living here for so long and knowing so much about the local landscape and and trying to expose it at this level and just running into so much noise and craziness now um it's it's fascinating so any opportunity i get to blab on uh, with like minded people it's so nice this is this is kind of um an informal therapy for me you know in a lot of ways so i i so appreciate this opportunity it's been kick ass to have this kind of conversation. I love it.
0: I agree, man. I'm blown away at the level of detail and the mission that you're on, man, because I, I respect it. And I think you're very brave for, getting down to the truth, and that's what this is really all about, is, you know, looking at reality, and instead of complaining about what's going on on a global level with the globalists, it's like, (laughs) those people are in your backyard, those globalists, they have vacation homes, they have, you know, they they have towns that they're from, they love, you know, we need to clean up our communities, so those people don't have free reign over our our country, and... and
1: I haven't even told you about... I should give a final pitch for Missoula, the microcosm of the globalist agenda. Should I give a, a, a nice pitch to kind of, it's going to really put on the radar for your please, listeners yeah, um, why they should be interested in Missoula. So uh, I've framed this a couple of times um, as I'm kind of making the pitch and, and trying to um, get more opportunities to be guests on people's podcasts and to talk about this, this craziness. But um we have, north of us, uh, in, in Arlee, this, this little town in Arlee. there's a Buddha garden. And I, I don't know what her, her new name is, but her old name is Linda Pritzker. And so, currently, the state of Illinois is run by the Pritzkers. So, the Pritzkers are one of those big names, like the Bronfums of Nexium fame. Um, and so, Linda Pritzker is like the black sheep of the billionaire Pritzker family. And so, she's up north in Arlee, right, waiting for the Dalai Lama to show up. She's built a helicopter pad up there. South of us, we have the Rocky Mountain Lab. And so that's a a biosecurity level four lab um, where this guy named Fauci, um, his mentor, Maurice Hilleman, that's like his stomping grounds, right? So south of us in the Bitterroot Valley, um, Fauci's mentor um, is hanging out. Um, I think he's dead, but um, metaphorically speaking, right? And then we have the current president of our university. So the University of Montana that was focused on by John Krakauer in his book, um, Rape. Um about our sort of rape scandal and the fact that um, rapes happen and our um, authorities don't seem to give a shit. Um, and so the University of Montana is headed by Seth Bodner. Seth Bodner is a sort of Rhodes scholar, West Point grad um, kind of guy. His wife just happened to be into telemedicine, you know, very convenient. Um his wife also is buddies with Jim Messina. and so Jim Messina helped get Obama reelected in two thousand and twelve and hopped over the pond and was like, Hey, let's get this Brexit thing going. sounds like a good idea. So Jim Messina pals with, um, Seth's wife. And, and so, I mean, you just have this, like this stew of stuff up North in Kalispell. Um, we've got, uh, Mike Guggins, a billionaire. Uh, he came from California. There's rumors that he uses private security and his, um, likes, likes the girls pretty young. Uh, you can do what you want when you're a billionaire. Um, and then we have like David Lynch, right. Has some Missoula origins. Um, and so it just kind of goes on. There's actually a lot of, um, sort of big names that can kind of be, um, brought into this Missoula fold. So I, I think this Missoula Zoomtown town thing is definitely something for people to kind of keep on their radar. Um, and I'm going to help kind of do that in, in, in my conversations that I have. So, well, um, let's, let's just focus start.
0: in, I have a couple of things that you've mentioned yeah. that I'm really super interested in. So yeah. there's a David Lynch. And then Mm -hmm. B, The Chapel of the Dove. So take that wherever you'd like. But I'd like to know further about both of those and how David Lynch, because I'm sure there's something weird about him because his his cinema is totally different than anything I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, I'll probably, you know, piss lots of people off. Um, I actually had to stop watching Fire Walk with me recently. And so I've collected a lot of David's uh, Lynchian um, film, books. I mean, he's got some interesting uh, companion pieces to Twin Peaks. There's like this uh, mock diary um, that, that Laura has. I'm looking at it now. It's uh, the secret diary of, of Laura Palmer. And and so David Lynch, I don't know if there's a, um, a lot of solid information connecting him to Missoula. Um, the Wilma building, I think there is some some sense that maybe he had some association with the Wilma building, but um, I'm not too familiar with, with what the, the time Lynch spent in Missoula. I would love other people that know more to, to help educate me if there's people that know some of this stuff. But um, the, the Chapel of the Dove, it really seems to be this, this really interesting, interesting place. Um, Edward Sharp was a very interesting character, and he had connections, um, I think, in the 60s and 70s um, to that counterculture scene. And so Missoula very much was one of these countercultural places um, to hang out in Montana um, in the primarily sort of, you know, red conservative um, rural state, you know, Missoula was I think one of these places that um, people gravitated towards. Um, we have a pretty good MFA program and Richard Hugo was the poet that established that back in the sixties. He was from white center and um, outside of Seattle. And so, you know, this is the thread that I'm wanting to, to follow further. Um, what, what development has happened along the Riverfront, the Wilma specifically, um, what kind of uh, sort of cultural production has, has come out of this? You know, David Lynch, for me, um, seems to be playing out some pretty creepy incest fantasies. Um, I'm not a big fan of his work. I'm not a big fan of, um, you know, what what Hollywood supports in terms of predictive programming. Um, you know, I, I used to like his work a lot more when I was younger before I kind of took a, a broader understanding of maybe what movies are, are doing to people, um, but I think Lynchian stuff. I think David Lynch, his work is important to consider. Um, even his his wrap up of the Twin Peaks series. Um, I think it's episode eight where he talks about um, stuff going on with um, and this is like you know White Sands and the and the nuclear uh, bomb detonation. I really think this plays into. Um, The deeply esoteric uh, occult manipulation of the world. Um, We mentioned, you know, Montauk. I've been reading a lot recently about Montauk. Um, I have a strong connection for some reason to to Pennsylvania that I don't really understand. Um, I get a lot of clothes from Philadelphia, from this cool boutique called Delicious Boutique. Um, Sean Stevenson was uh, born in Pittsburgh. Um, uh, Sean's family, they they had a church in Pittsburgh at, at one point. That um, was used in the filming of Dogma, which is really interesting um, because when we talk about movies, uh, Dogma and Alanis Morissette—you know, she she plays a pretty central god role in that. Um, Alanis that pops up in a movie I recently watched about Philip K. Dick. Uh, it's an interpretation of Radio Free Album, and that movie blew me away. I think um, in terms of writers, uh, Philip K. Dick is up there in my top three i think he was the most important prophet of the 21st century um or 20th century uh the guy his 1974 experience um the, the pink theme of light you know I, I i think in a lot of ways what we are dealing with is broken time i think time really did get broken um this kind of goes back to donnie darko as well the idea of um stepping out of your role creating tangent universes and I, I think what synchronicities themselves might be, um, are efforts by people or, or, forces outside of time, helping us reintegrate timelines. You know, I really think there's something to this, um, uh, to time being broken, going back to the Philadelphia experiment. Um, you know, Alistair Crowley was deeply involved in that shit. That guy, that guy pops up left and right. Um, I see 11s all the time. I don't know if you have that experience, like 11, 11, or just seeing ones all the time. Um, there's a lot of just weirdness surrounding all this, and I, I think it, it comes back to time, and it comes back to it being broken in some sense. So that's, again, what I will just kind of throw out there in a ramble bunch of information for you.
0: I'm following you. I love it. I think the Montauk Project is something I want to get into. You said you've been studying it lately. Let's Let's talk about it. What have you found that's interesting? I mean, there's a lot of media out there already about the montauk experiment i think some things are highlighted more than others but what have you found is there anything that stands out
1: you know it's just um God, it's hard to sort of pin it down we my, my family went on a july 4th you know 4th of july uh, road trip to um to the west coast of washington state and i'm, I'm reading montauk you know along the way and Um, there's this explorer, I can't remember his name, but um, he's the guy that disappeared in Brazil. Um, They think he may have disappeared in the caves searching for, like, you know, the golden city. Um, And and we got to this place that we had rented, and and this guy's, like, biography is there. You know, there's there's just these things that seem to be kind of, you know, just pointing to, you know, again, time being broken in some way, but um, I know there's more specific things related to, to Montauk, but that was, like, a couple of months ago, which now feels like a couple of eons ago, the way time feels like it's just speeding up. Um, but I, I will mention a conversation I had with someone recently in which she was talking about deja vu. And she said that she was having deja vu so much, it was becoming like debilitating. Um, and, and the way she was kind of describing it, I'm like, huh, like maybe what's happening is you just, Um, you did some things in other timelines and and those timelines are sort of reintegrating. So every time a new timeline reintegrates, you experience some kind of deja vu, like it is the black cat matrix kind of thing. Maybe that's what's going on. You know, and um, I, I I actually uh, prescribed her to watch Donnie Darko, like it might be maybe helpful for her. Um, But, you know, I think people are experiencing a lot of just strange things going on, um, especially after that confluence, the sort of astrological stuff, Um, I I'm also drawn to the idea of star seeds and people kind of waking up to the, you know, what they might be needing to do in this, in this moment. Um, and so I think a lot of this stuff for me is just very active, you know, and, and I just look and try and and stay present enough to see the small things. Um, and you know, responsive enough to, to being a, a dick and a, and an idiot. I mean, I'm blind to a lot of stuff still. Um, and so as I'm following these new paths and directions, you can't forget, you know, some of those duties and responsibilities that, that you might still have out there, but it's a, it's a fascinating thing. It's what gives me the most hope in terms of um, seeing opportunities in, in the craziness. Um, Cause it's hard to keep that perspective. Um, I, I lose it all the time, but I find the more I get out there and talk to people and the more I'm out there in the world, that's where I'm really getting the energy to continue going forward. The more that I'm looking at Twitter and, you know, doing some of those things, I took Twitter off my phone a long time ago. Um, but I, everything is reinforcing how toxic the screens are. Um, I have kids that like, I battle the screen every damn day. I'm trying to make sure that they're getting out. Um, you know, my wife does a lot more in terms of, you know, having to work with the remote learning that they did for, for the, the past year. But, you know, just making sure that the kids aren't getting swallowed up in this craziness. Um, we live in Montana, so we get to go out to the, the river and the, and the woods and so we're so lucky where we're at looking at Australia, looking at some of the other places in this country, um, I try and remind myself, like, we are still, like, in a pretty good place. This is the time to, to realize what, what you have to fight for um, because things are changing pretty quickly. So,
0: Yeah, no, well said. I agree with you. I think, you know, that definitely comes to mind being in the Northeast. We're, like, choked out by New York. You got to go through New York to get to the rest of the country out here. So that's been cons- October
1: 1st, October 1st is going to be the big showdown. I mean, I'm, I'm really starting to feel a lot of energy building, um, really towards, towards that, you know,
0: what makes you say that?
1: Um, because that's a deadline, um, for a lot of people, um, in terms of employment. Right. Um, I, some of the, some of the people I'm working with here, um, and if you hear a little something, I got a call coming. I'm just ignoring that. um, uh, veterans, you know, the, the potential loss of uh, veteran um, services, VA services, VA benefits. Um, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people understand that in some ways the, the, the sociopathic elite have already declared war. You know, and people don't understand the, the new non-kinetic information war, psychological ops. There's not that sophisticated. Too many people just don't have that that understanding. So, um, you know, I'm doing my best for the people I think I can kind of reach still, um, to try and keep you know people in my local community trying to, to find who has that potential because, um, it's a crash course at this point in realizing what they're, what they're pulling off. Um, you know, if you can, if you can be, a on, on you can be unvaccinated after still getting one jab or i think it's like 2 weeks after your second jab you know um it's just it's incredible the language that's being used and the power that these words have over people's minds you know um i, I continue to be pretty impressed uh, in a in a creepy way with with what what they're accomplishing um, it's like wow you guys have been working at this for a while <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's why I think it's so important to have this synchromistic lens at this time so you can yeah. really navigate your life and, you know, something that I did before any of this really got off and running in a, in a serious way. I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe it was pretty serious then, but I quit, you know, my normal job and just took it upon myself to become a entrepreneur and you know start my own business so to speak and of course I had an opportunity that was really beneficial to facilitate that through the Tim Fall Hat podcast but you know, yeah, yeah. as far as, you know, that's concerned, I mean, I'm not making a lot of money through that. I'm just keeping it going as best as I can. And and I think you know, you, my heart goes out yeah. to all those people who are worried about their jobs right now and are put in that position. Yeah. But I think that was the decision I had to make to avoid, you know, having to face that. And I, I think as a free citizen of this country, I don't believe that I'm going to ever have to get that. Jab and I really, yeah, trust that. But you know, hey, I, I could be wrong, and, and maybe it will be a give me liberty, a give me death type moment. You know, my stance is pretty much settled with this podcast. But hey, guys, <laughs> this is all for comedy purposes. If anybody's listening from Montana, like, uh, <laughs> you know, don't get me involved. But no, I, 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 I again, dude, my, my heart goes out to what you're doing because I think you know. The homelessness epidemic is not just, you know, something in your state, it's all across the nation, you know, someone that was really pivotal in my life was homeless the time that I met him someone yeah. who I've talked about on my show. I think I mentioned him to you when we talked on the phone and he elaborated yeah. to me all these things about skull and bones and, and Geronimo and, and native American culture. And that's so much of what I'm doing now. And, you know, I was in, in new Haven to talk to homeless people. I was in new Haven to go to community college. And in between classes, I found myself, you know, in the park talking to him. Cause that's just where all the homeless people happen to be. Yeah. And uh, I never really was, was afraid to just meet people because i'm pretty tall so i'm not like easily intimidated by just like you know what maybe the average person from the suburbs would be intimidated by going (laughs) to the the city you know because it is for, for being on a university it is a pretty rough city there's at least uh at that time especially in 2015 it was like top 10 in the country for one of the most dangerous cities new haven connecticut so I definitely, oh, wow. yeah. you know, I definitely avoided some some dangerous stuff in a, in a lot of ways and learned a lot pretty quickly, but yeah, man, again, you know, I think nothing happens by accident, and you know, us yeah. having this conversation is synchronistic. You know, it, it relates in so many ways to my personal story that I've shared a lot on this show, and and yeah, yeah, you know, I, I hope that more people in your area, hear you and support you <laughs> in this venture because, you know, um, one of the intentions Mike and I set out when we created your handbook for the apocalypse and just like something that I had talked about with him for a while, maybe an intention really, truly I set out with the synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding now was to help people understand how to, you know, take that understanding and apply it to their own life in a productive yeah proactive way
1: absolutely and there's uh, people have opportunities that they might not even understand or know about yet um and those opportunities present themselves all the time and it's really you know getting in tune with what you're good at where your skills are um and then we mentioned um when we were talking just trying to have fun i mean it's really important to kind of keep a certain amount of um not amusement because i mean we've talked about some dark things and some and some tough things and i don't want to you know try and make light of anything um, my education really came not from college, but from working seven years at the shelter. I mean, I learned more uh, understanding how people navigate, um, these, these heartless soulless systems. Um, I mean, that was my, that was my education. And then some of the people I met, um, in terms of the art that I do, I mean, I, this veteran that just sat on the footbridge by the university, of Montana campus, I would talk with him all the time. And, it was during the, the daytime and a few times at night, you know, I'd see some of his compadres come by and a little bit more and into the cups, you know. And, um, but I was a very pampered, suburban kid myself. Um, and, and so I really have a lot to, to thank, you know, the people that helped educate me about, you know, what's kind of going on on the streets. And that's, that's why I'm in, in this position, able to help another family understand what happened to their loved one. Um, because I am able to, to be a bit of like a code switcher and go still, you know, talk to people at the camps and, um, and still have some conversations with some higher ups, you know, um, to be that bridge. Um, And so I think anyone that wants to to think about synchronicities and kind of apply them in their own way, you know, think about what you're interested in, in the first, first place and, and, you know, just stuff that, that draws your curiosity or, um, and, and start with some of those small little things that just, you can't get out of your head. You know, it's something that nagging, nagging at you in some way. Um, if you follow some of those, those inclinations, I think you might be surprised, you know, what kind of gifts are, are there, um, that, that you'll find. So I think it's good work to do. And the more people doing it, I think the, the better things will be in, in the long run.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, I think that's a great place to uh, to end it with that in mind, you know, inspiring yeah. and, and get people to take a deeper look at some of the problems that they can solve in their own backyard. Now, Absolutely. You, mentioned, you mentioned art. Tell us about that. Tell us about what you do uh, other than, you know, investigating and going on synchronistic <laughs> journeys. You mentioned that you write poetry. Where can people find that, and, and what, what will they find when they look?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um the, the blog that I do is called Reptile Dysfunction. So not erectile, but reptile. Uh it looks better on the page. Every time I say it out loud, it's kinda of feel a little more stupid. But um my about page has a couple links and so I have a substack page where I'm writing fiction. Um I have a link to where you can get my book of poetry. Welcome to the Covaxicon. Um I'm working on another collection of poetry called um Babylon by Gaslight. Um and so I'm hoping to kind of get that out. But I'm working on a a website, williamskink.com. I'm hoping to get that more sort of finalized here soon. I'm trying to kind of level up. Um, And another thing I wanted to just mention quickly is Legos. I don't get paid by Legos and Legos are expensive, but um, I have created what I call a sort of um, plastic metaphorical narrative device. Um, In my shop, I have built a Lego world. Um, It's unlike anything I can even describe. You just have to... And you can't even see pictures of it and it doesn't really do it justice, but um, I'm kind of like Richard Dreyfus in, in the movie Close Encounters where he's building the, the mountain out of mashed potatoes. Um, I'm doing that in my shop with Legos. And so um, Legos have been this like amazing kind of uh, sort of healing. Um, I just, I love it. I mean, it's something for your hands to do if you want to just follow the, um, follow the, the instructions, but I am a master builder. And so I freestyle, Um, And I I incorporate Legos and toys into little um, figurines and sort of um, sculptures that I do. So I'm I'm hoping to get some of that visual stuff out more uh, prominently. Um, I mostly focus now on just uh, updating the blog six times a week, putting a podcast out uh, once a week, um, and then the documentary that I'm working on. So I have a lot of irons in the fire, but um, when I left my my paying gig, I basically said I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at what I'm trying to accomplish. And so that, that is what I am doing.
0: Wow. I love it. Another synchronicity. Legos were huge for me. When I was a kid, I had like five or six, like huge, bins you know the plastic bins you know and yeah. no, none i would never ever follow the instructions i would just take <laughs> all the bags open them up pour them into my collection and then just start over with whatever spaceship i was planning on building yeah. or you know whatever i had in mind so I, i completely 100% you know, support. If you have kids, I don't have kids, but if you have kids figure out how to get them some Legos, I'm sure someone yes. related to has some in their addict or someone, you yeah. know, you can ask around cause they are rare. And I, I've had friends who have kids ask me about that. Oh, uh, no,
1: like, totally. And this is, this is an idea that someone needs to steal from me. Um, someone needs to do a nonprofit Lego, like after school program, because it's cost prohibitive for a lot of families. And if you're going on eBay, my God, man, it's still incredibly expensive just to get used Legos. So if there could ever be a, a way to to make it more accessible for for people, um, because it's, it, it really is some of the most fun. My kids, I am the most happy when I see all three of my kids in the shop all doing their own little Lego thing. Uh, my oldest is 13, and so the fact that he still kind of gets in there, um, and it, he's not too cool for it yet, uh, it makes me so happy. So it's it's one of the ways that I try and stay sane. Um, in this crazy world is is playing with toys as an adult, so
0: yeah, connecting with your <laughs> inner child that's something that my lovely girlfriend reminds me about often <laughs> she she definitely, you know was reminded me of how important that is, and yeah, man, i I agree. i one of the the places actually that i've ever the first place I ever podcasted from with Sam Tripoli was a place called make Haven. And I think, you know, the idea of a maker space is like broader than just this one place and it's called make yeah, Haven yeah. because of the town it's in. But, uh-huh. um, I think, yeah, people, you know, maybe don't realize that there are spots like that in your own community where you can go and learn stuff. Like Absolutely. I, I learned a couple things about podcasting that I didn't know from that place, but I was also learning stuff about, uh, embroidery. I was, there was Legos there. That's why I was reminded of it. And there was like a wood shop. So yeah, I think it's, it's all in the same field and, and in a sort of backdoor cognitive kind of way playing with Legos, I think was instrumental to, you know, the way my mind sees things. So even and me
1: too yeah
0: and even you know even if you're like 40 years old or 50 years old and you're hearing this like it's not too late you can you can make a <laughs> no. change you know uh but yeah man i mean wow i love that you you brought up that tangent for folks who uh maybe Perfect. missed it reptile dysfunction is the name of your blog can yeah. they find that uh at williamskink.com or where can they go to find that
1: Yeah. uh, Williamskink.com does have a link um, to my actually first interview so that you can um, get to the podcast. A lot of that stuff could be changing though. Um, I I mentioned to you that I'm using anchor, not all that excited with it in terms of podcast platforms. And so um, I'm going to be changing some stuff. WordPress is is a bit clunky, but um, I think going to williamskink.com is a good first step because that gets you to the interview um, with the Stevenson sisters. And that um, in terms of where my heart is, you know, that, that is kind of one of my central sort of motivators is, um, you know, this injustice that's happened and, and all this stuff that we can't really move forward with in this town and this community until some of these sort of core injustices are dealt with. And so, um, but any, any, anyone that wants to connect with me, um, willskink at yahoo.com is my email address. I, um, I'm on telegram too, as well. So, um, Travis Mater I think is via telegram. So yeah, any, any way people want to reach out to me, I'm definitely open to continue having these types of conversations.
0: Right on. Travis, thank you so much for joining us, man. And, uh, yeah, best of luck on your journey. And, folks, thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast.
1: Thank uh, you so much for having me. It's yeah. been a lot of fun.
0: Alright, thank you for listening to another awesome episode of the My Family Think Some Crazy podcast. Please, if you've made it this far, we know you're a valued listener. We'd love to have you a part of the family. Join us at patreon.com slash MFTIC. We got some new updates in that realm on the way, as well as a rock fin. Follow us there, subscribe. We got free videos there as well. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Please check out Travis's podcast, Zoom Town, show him some love, just got off the ground. And of course, the scene, we got the synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding now on the Patreon, the full episodes of five interviews that really are fundamental to understanding the world around us. I think those conversations were really great and I think the plan is to do that at least twice a month as well as a video really so sign up on the Patreon today, thank you very much for listening, have a great moment wherever you are in the now